0: Welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. Today, I am going to be with Mark, who is the author of the Shotgun Skyscraper Blueprint and my co-founder, Accessory. And this is our latest course, the Shotgun Skyscraper Blueprint. So if you want advanced team building tactics, this is... It, but you will need to hurry up because the launch ends in less than 24 hours at the time at which we release this podcast. So if you want to learn more, just go on authorityhacker.com. There will be a huge call to action on top of the homepage. Click on a big button and it's going to take you to the sales page for the course. But now let's talk about today's episode. Recently, we hired a new content creator called Michel, who is quite good with numbers and data. And we asked him to scrape a bunch of Google results, 1.1 million to be exact and to run a bunch of data science on them. So we understand the way Google works now, especially after all these medical days and co updates days that happened in the last 24 months. And today we're going to be talking about the results of this research. So let's get started. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms.
0: Now, your
1: host, Gael and Mark.
0: All right, welcome everyone. Before we get started, this podcast is actually based on a blog post that is already released, you can find it on authorityhacker.com slash million subs, S-E-R-P-S, analyzed. And you will find all the data we're talking about. You can see graphs, you can see all of that. So if you're interested in what we've talked about in this episode, I highly recommend you go check the blog post out because there's actually Michelle's interpretation of the data there, but Michelle is actually not an SEO guy. So it's a, a little bit different and a little bit refreshing to see someone looking at SEO stuff when they're actually not in that stuff. But today you're going to get SEO guys' opinion on that. And today for that, I'm with Mark. How's it going, Mark? Good as always. Ah, oh, you hate that question. I know it. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just don't have the energy for it right now. No. <laughs>
0: But yeah, it's like, it's the thing. It's like most SEO knowledge that is shared on social media, Facebook group, Reddit, Twitter, whatever is, you know, taken from unknown tests that random SEO people that have a little bit of clout run, but don't necessarily share. They don't necessarily share the data of it. And all software companies like Ahrefs does a really good job at doing that, for example. I think they're probably one of the best sources of data. And we do use Ahrefs extensively in that uh, case study. They actually gave us a bunch of free API queries. So Tim, thank you very much for that. That study we're talking about today as well has also been inspired by a, an old post from Dean and uh, Eric van Buxig from Clickstream. They ran something quite similar in 2016. And we wanted to actually see how things have changed and kind of compare the data. And we thought it would be interesting. They really didn't look at that post since then. So we decided to inspire ourselves from that. But we highly recommend you go check their work. We're linked to them several times in the blog post so that you can go check the original work that they did. But essentially, we took... The base of that, the base of a bunch of tools we have access, we also scraped 1.1 million search results, making sure also that half the keywords that we scraped for had over 1,000 searches per month so that you know it's not just like tiny queries or just branded stuff, etc. And we actually built a custom scraper for it. It took actually like five, six days to even just collect the data. And then from the data that we collected, then we ran it through uh, Ahrefs and a bunch of other things. We also used a bunch of you know, developer APIs like readability which is the API that Firefox takes to give you the reader version of any web page. You know? So they strip away navigation, sidebars, etc., ads, and so on. And uh, that, that's, for example, one of the APIs that allowed us to look into word count. And we actually got uh, some surprising results there. So we're going to talk about that. So that's essentially what we had. We had a bunch of data. Then I literally just submitted a bunch of questions which I thought were relevant to michelle and he just ran the stats and we made some beautiful graphics and you can find them on the blog post authorityhacker.com slash million subsanalyzed
1: yeah i just want to add to that as well that if anyone is interested in the specific methodology on how we collected this data and analyzed it then there's actually a link to the documentation michelle has sort of provided the exact sort of process for how he he went about it so you can kind of verify that what we're the data we've gathered and the methodology for processing it is legit.
0: Yeah. I mean, we try to be like as transparent as possible. Like we, it's like literally like it was just like a g- generally interesting and especially given like the massive shifts that we've seen in Google in the last 12 months. Like I, I did think that running this data against previous case studies and, and also data that has been run by other companies was Interesting, not really to challenge them, but rather to just understand the way Google has shifted things. And and you see that we've compared ourselves to like some Ahrefs data, some branding data, etc. And uh, a lot of things seems to have changed quite significantly. And we actually challenge some of their methodologies sometimes as well, actually. So I will talk about that. I'm sure someone's going to come up and challenge ours at some point. But hey, that's the game of uh, that's how science works normally, right? So, so we're just going to go through each of the the, the big takeaways. And first, we're going to give you the observation. So we're going to just uh, tell you what we saw. And then based on that, we're going to have like a little bit of a discussion on what we think it means and, you know, how you can take advantage of it or maybe how this affects you as a site owner from people that do a lot of SEO this time. So it's a little bit different from the blog post. So the first observation, which uh, seems like super obvious. <laughs> it's uh, uh, the title is like, uh, it's still worth fighting for the number one spot. It's interesting because what we did actually is we like, you'd be like, oh, when you look at the graph, you see that we see organic traffic per Google search rank. So we saw that, you know, the number one result gets way more organic traffic than number two, three, four. And there's kind of like that linear curve where you see that the lower you rank on Google, the less traffic you get. But what's interesting is that it's not the traffic for that one keyword. It's the traffic in general for that page. The number we used for this was the organic traffic number in eight What that means is that usually when a page ranks number one, they rank for thousands of other related keywords and so on. And it means that they also do really, really, really well for other related keywords. And that means that the world of SEO is consolidating to some extent where the winners are just getting more and more traffic and then the people that rank lower get less and less traffic. And you know, when you see like all these big corporations getting in the, getting in SEO, etc., that just means that there's there's a phenomena of consolidation. That we don't have the data pre Hummingbird, but Hummingbird's job was to do that, was to actually understand what a query means. It essentially serves you relevant results, which in turn reduces the share of long tail long tail search traffic, and kind of like regroups all these things together. So long tail SEO gets weaker from that. And, and, and Google just picks a few pages for a topic and seems to want to really surface them on many, many,
1: many different queries. I would question this. I would question what you're saying. Because what what has happened here is that there's all of the kind of branded keywords, the the brand sites that rank number one, you know, their home pages, which may get, get a lot of traffic because you are just like big companies and, and whatever. I, f- I feel like that may skew the data somewhat.
0: But even if you ignore number one, Even if you just look from number two to number 10, there's still like in general, actually, it's a good point that you're saying that. Because I think one thing that we want to say is that one thing that was predominant is that number one point, which seems pretty obvious, is that the number one spot gets the most traffic and it just goes down. Uh, Number two gets 15.7%, number three gets 9.7%. Number four gets 7.4%, It was like a percentage of the traffic of the top 10, right? So that's why the percentages we give was the amount of organic traffic the top 10 get. But what was interesting is it wasn't the amount of traffic for that query, but the amount of traffic total, meaning that these pages, they don't just rank for that one keyword that we found them for. They rank for thousands thousands of keywords. And usually when you see pages rank higher for any given keyword, they will tend to just have more organic traffic overall, which is not necessarily obvious than the, the pages below them. And so my feeling on this, especially when you see like, I mean, number one really gets a lot of traffic, but we'll talk about outliers maybe a little bit after. But my feeling is that um, there, there seems to be a little bit of consolidation happening in SEO where like Google will pick its like, pages related to a topic and then decide that, they're relevant for all keywords related to this topic and show them for all these related keywords. And it feels like long tail is a little bit weaker since since Hummingbird. That's what long tail would do, right? You would essentially like...
1: With that, you, you mean like, for example, a page best vitamins, which is like a really, really good page, ranks number one, might also rank for best vitamins for women, best vitamins for women over 40, all these kind of related keywords. Exactly. Like they're
0: able... So before... Like, it was really easy, you know, to take uh, one of these long-tail queries, like best vitamins for women over 40, just like write that one page and take these spots, right? Whereas now, uh, given this, and it's still possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it seems like more pages that will just write about best vitamins in general will tend to show up for these queries where prior to that, Google would favor pages that are more specialized to that one subtopic that you're writing about and that exact breakdown
1: you're you're probably right about this what i would say is that we could probably actually look at the data further like if we ever did a second round of analysis on this we could actually look at the pages which are ranking number one and like from ahrefs pull what other keywords they they rank for and like maybe look at i don't know the number of keywords
0: i think it's more the overlap i think what you want to take like uh, pages that target like a long tail keyword and pages that target the like top keyword and kind of like look at keyword overlap you know i think that would be that would be interesting yeah but like it's something that we've like to be frank it's something that we've observed as well on like affiliate subs etc the way it's going to work for long tail queries these days from from what we see and what this data is trying to show me is that there's going to be a healthy mix of Pages that target that long tail query, like usually like lower DR sites, smaller sites, etc., which will be able to snag, you know, a top five. But in a either on top or like pretty high up on the page, you'll also see these huge sites that just like write best vitamins, and then they still show up for that best vitamins for women over forty or whatever. They still show up, and they'll be competing like just as strongly, if not more than the pages that specialize in long-term, which really wasn't the case before. It was really easy to like snag these things up, you
1: know? I do wonder though, I mean, how much of this may be, like how many navigational type keywords are, are in here? The good example is like, we, r- we ranked for Amazon Associates program, but it got like hardly any traffic in actual yeah. fact because when people were searching- We ranked number three for ClickBank, I think. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were just searching. It was a navigational term. They were just searching for the site. Well,
0: you'd be surprised, actually. So I actually, it's funny, because I was picking the data in Webmaster's console. I mean, you, you, do, get, you do get a decent amount of traffic when the keywords are really big still. Even if you just rank for the brain term, like, you'd be surprised. So, like, our ClickBank page, like, literally the number one keyword that sends the most traffic to it, according to Webmaster's console, is ClickBank. It's not like any other keyword, by far, actually. But still, like, when it's navigational, your click store is much lower. I agree with that. But the, the numbers that we're looking at, they take that into account because it's the traffic numbers from Ahrefs which actually calculates click through rate for every query, you know? So so this is actually taken into account when we look at the organic traffic number. When you have a branded query, it's just going to attribute less traffic to that query for the number two, three, four, et cetera, you know? It's not perfect, but, but there's a degree of integrating that.
1: Yeah, I still, I wonder if that... Okay, so I mean, you take 1.1 million results and, you know, th- this is clearly the the case over so many results but i mean it doesn't really tell us enough about like what the different types of keywords are that could potentially influence this you know i mean
0: it's not broken that type of keyword is just in general you know
1: yeah yeah i'm just saying it'd be an, an interesting if there was some way and i don't know how you would do that to like classify keywords at scale god that's that so might, hard
0: that's the hard part yeah
1: actually.
0: it's like Getting that data is not so bad, but like actually classifying queries was the hardest, and I, we still did a really. We spent a lot of time, weeding out a lot of like branded and navigational queries so that it's more relevant. I don't know how the other studies have done that, but I definitely know that we talked several times with Michelle about uh, really making sure that there can be some branded stuff, but try to weed it out. So, for example, one of the things we did is when the domain was matching the keyword, the number one result. Of the number one result, we actually just remove that query and all that data. For example, that's one of the things we did. For example, so there's there's, there's several things that we did to like be able to remove navigational stuff, etc. You know, it's not perfect, but it helps. And also the search volume, right? So unless it's a pretty big company, like because like half the keywords have at least a thousand search volume per month, it also without a lot of branded search, like especially smaller brands. You know, so like you won't get like some kind of like local medical center or something. Do you know the average
1: keyword volume?
0: I don't. I mean, I'm sure we can find it, but I don't have it in my head right now. Yeah,
1: because it would be really interesting to compare that versus the organic traffic for for number one, and that might give you some indication of like how much wider the net's being spread. You know,
0: I'm just taking notes for the refresh in like one or two days. <laughs> I, but yeah, right now I don't know. What I know is like we definitely um, ran analysis on like keywords with a lot of volume versus keywords with low volume. Because, you know, one of the assumptions we had, so one of the assumptions that I'm just throwing this, it was supposed to be at the end, but like, whatever, it's coming up now. One of the assumptions that we made in Bali, actually, so Tim Solo was in the room and there was Carl Roof in the room as well. So Carl Roof did his presentation on ranking Lorem ipsum pages. And Tim, I, I told this story before, but Tim came super mad at me, like, I don't believe in this stuff. This is not how it works. Da, 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 da. He was like, pick a side, basically. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And I talked to Charles Flut, who was there too, and he's like, "Oh, here's what I think. I think that um, for our large volume queries, Google runs like deeper uh, machine learning type algorithms that cost a lot to process, so they would not run it on low level queries. So the case study of, of Carrefour makes sense because you know they don't run this more advanced AI type stuff. Whereas when Tim does his case study, he does it on like big big keywords, et cetera, where there's like more sophisticated algorithms. We actually so. To test that assumption, we actually tried to compare the stats. We we split it. You know, we did two data sets like higher volume, search volume and lower search volume, and at the one thousand, like maybe it's for higher search volume. I don't know what the mark is, right? We don't know what the delimitation. But we broke it down between over above a thousand and below a thousand, and it was matching. So there was actually no difference between both, and it didn't seem like there was any kind of extra layer of algorithm that made things rank differently. So I. So now Tim's going to be mad at me, but we don't know what happened. We we put it like at the end, like at the end, we put a bunch of like things that we, we checked that didn't match and just, it wasn't that interesting data. So we didn't really like develop it a lot, but like I was one of them actually. Another thing I want to say about this case study is uh, often the number one result will be an outlier. And uh, Michel made a good suggestion. Like he was like, oh, most of your SEO effort is often to fighting for number two, because number one seems to be like the most relevant result when when it's a brand, when it's anything like that. Like all this stuff is throwing it away because even if that brand has like the worst website possible, if people are searching for that, Google is going to put them number one. Or if people are like doing anything that has a really obvious result, like hospital near me or something, you know what I mean? Something like that.
1: I think there's the sort of correlation versus causation debate kind of that that comes into this. So even if you take out all of those branded keywords or, you know, things which are just, you know, will auto rank number one for X, Y, Z reason. Even if you take all that out, I still think that number one will be relatively speaking more of a, an outlier than two to 10. It has to be because there's no, nobody above it. But I think it's, it might also have to do with the effort and the marketing and the kind of business acumen of the people who are, at the top they are gonna be doing all the other things right so it's not necessarily any individual factor which we look at which is which is causing it but to rank you know what I mean?
0: But it's also like the number one can really create a gap with the number two. Like you won't see it because like the number two is so far behind. So like you can have like three times more equal domains and really dominate that query. And it's just like there will be outliers for whatever reason and you won't see it because there's nobody above number one. Like it's the only result with with nobody above them to compare it to
1: yeah there's also that thing like i remember on uh, health ambition when we were ranking number one for bananas or coffee or something we had like loads of journalists from newspapers would like do some research and like find something we said and then quote it and get links so there's kind of like perpetuation cycle that goes on there yeah with with certain queries at least so maybe maybe with
0: informational uh, queries like if it's just a query that just gives information these are like massive link magnets i mean like we have pages with like hundreds of links on health ambition where we did absolutely nothing to get these links they just ended up ranking for the info keyword and like they got links from like huffington post and like webmd even and stuff like that and we did absolutely nothing for these links yeah, it's kind of like a, a virtual circle. it's a virtual circle that creates a massive gap that makes it very hard to compete when someone takes the number one, you know? It's like that's that kind of goes together with the idea of consolidation that I just uh, I talked about earlier. So like if you have big sites like like the dot dash guy, for example, the guys that run that run about dot com, but they run like very well fit and very well health, etc. Like all these, these huge sites, like the the spru- the spruce as well, like all these sites, like anyone that's in the home niche, etc. hates because they're ranking for everything. And now, because they're ranking for everything, they're getting so many natural links and just creating that gap that makes it very hard for their competitors to compete, actually. Anyway, this is point number one. We had 23 minutes in this podcast. <laughs> I think we're gonna, we're gonna jump on point number two. And point number two is an interesting as well. It's, uh, it's about feature snippets. And feature snippets are growing really fast. So HRFs did actually a database case study in 2017 what well, they did, and let's be honest, they did it on a much bigger sample size than we did. So, just because of that, there would be a lot, there would be a decent difference in terms of results between us. But the gap is so massive that there's still things you can learn from it. Because at the time I wish they ran this this case study in 2017, they found that 12.3% of queries had a featured snippet, whereas our study found that. 46% of results had fitted snippets. And when we applied our no navigational query, brand queries, et cetera, to it, we, it actually jumped up to 65.5% of queries. So basically most informational stuff had fitted snippets on top. So I accept that Ahrefs has a much larger data set. And I mean, I think we used uh, no, we used our, our scraper to get that. We didn't use uh, Ahrefs data. But still, like the, the difference is so massive. Like the, and it's only like two years ago, right? At the time at which we're recording. And two out of three queries now have, informational queries at least, now have a featured snippet. And to be honest, when you see a ramp up this fast, I mean, it, it, what it reminds me of is it reminds me of not provided in analytics, you know? And what I believe is that actually we're going to end up at like 95% of queries with a featured snippet on top. You know, it's just going to be the default subs, you know? When it, when it ramps up so fast, and when Google gets to this level of uh, level already, you know it eventually is making it to every single search result. And with that, there's the growth of clickless searches. Essentially, people searching for something, getting the answer in the snippets that Google nicely scraped from your website and just not clicking on any website and just going on with their lives. As a user, it's great. As a website owner, <laughs> not so much. Although it's more damaging... To some businesses, to some business models than others. So like, if you're running ads, for example, it's like a pure loss. Like, if you're just running AdThrive or Mediavine or something like this, then yeah, you're not getting that page view. You're not getting paid. You're not getting anything. And that's, that's pure loss. And that that really affects ad-based websites because these feature snippets tend to show up more for informational queries where ad-based websites thrive, you know? So it's, for ads, it sucks. You want to say something?
1: Yeah, I was just saying, like, in my experience, at least, this this shows up a lot more in informational keywords. And the types of snippets you you have on informational keywords are, can dogs eat chocolate? And the the answer, yes or no, is there. And that's it. Search done. I don't need to go any further. It's a little bit different with product-based ones where you maybe have, like, best dog leashes or something like that and then i get the point like i I really i'm not a fan of the way google is like scraping what other people are recommending and then putting that list there and then their own google shopping links to products there's a interesting article this week that came out about that it's been going on for a while um i'm not going to mention the the name or shout them out of the blog that talked about this because they had a really like clickbaity title which was just like so oh, super they're gonna super kill affiliate
0: marketing or something is that this one
1: kill affiliate marketing links yeah. is what they said in the clickbaity so title it had nothing to do with that but it was just about uh featured snippets and uh, it's not and just
0: that they... actually it's an update to chrome actually chrome will allow people to block more trackers but it, it's unlikely to to affect uh as affiliates that much to be honest yeah
1: i mean the the point is it's kind of like it's already happening a lot. I mean, this is even like one plus year ago. I saw there's like really a lot on certain keywords for certain sites, seem to seem to be in like consumer goods, pets, and, and that kind of thing. It's really happens all the time. So I, I do wonder if it's one of those things where it, it's just going to sort of be part of the landscape and you're going to have to, you, you're not really going to hit a cliff edge when suddenly they turn it on for all these these SERPs and your business dies, it might, might be sort of more of a a gradual thing.
0: I think also it's only a percentage of people that are interested in clicking directly without content, you
1: know? Yeah. Well, this is the other thing. So if you want to buy, I don't know, the best two meter headphone extension cord, which is something I was looking at the other day and it's five bucks or something, then the difference between one recommendation and the other. It's like, you don't really want to spend the time to research this for four hours and read all the reviews and watch all the videos to to get the answer because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's such a cheap item. If you're buying a, a car or something and you say, I don't know, best car for families, you're not going to buy the one that Google has on the SERP. So th- those are two extremes, but you get the idea like more expensive items are going to require more research and people are not just going to take the recommendation. They're going to, they're going to say, okay, well, why? Why should I get that one? And that's and when
0: the means. people that are the most likely to convert, they're the one who wants to read as well. So even though your traffic may go down significantly, it's mostly lurkers, you know? Like, and that was kind of my point as well.
1: This is actually a r- really, really interesting point. So like, my aunt, she doesn't use the internet. She doesn't know how. She's just not tech savvy at all. So, like when she wants to buy something, you know like I, I can't think of an example like maybe she needs a new frying pan for her kitchen. I mean, she say, "Oh, you know like what which one should I get or or something, she'll just ask someone, and I do wonder whether there's a lot of people who can't actually be bothered to do the four hours of research that you need and just like go on Google and see what the first one is and say, "I'll oh, buy that one
0: yeah, I mean uh, but that's the interesting part because you know what that's leading that's leading to Google Assistant, actually so what's going to happen is instead of asking someone she will ask google one day who knows if it's voice c- controlled you know it might it might happen and it's like and so that's that might be the way but I, the truth is the more interested you are the more you read right and it's like especially for like items that don't cost that cost more like than 30 40 euros or dollars or whatever This is the kind of stuff where you're just going to start reading a little bit. And the featured snippet is just not going to be enough. And I think that it's going to reduce sales a little bit. Some people will click and buy instead of clicking to your site and buy. Yes, I agree. Is it going to kill the whole model? No, I don't think so. I think this information will still be needed. And especially for like high-end or expensive products, I don't even think it's going to make a dent, to be frank.
1: I would also question the kind of legality of this approach going forward. There's a few interesting bits of legislation in the European Union at the moment. Oh
0: yeah, the EU is going to kill them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and they call it the link tax. It's it's not a link tax. It's something completely else. We could do a whole other episode on on, on this and the implications. But basically, it's it was sort of targeted towards Google News, kind of displaying ve- like a lot of information snippets of of actual newspapers' content and then not reimbursing them for it, which, you know, it's sort of standard practice now, but they, they were sort of saying that actually that's that's not okay. You're basically taking their content and providing a new service. So, like...
0: I don't disagree on that, to be honest, especially given the fact that Google penalizes content scraping, you know?
1: <laughs> this is the same thing, you know, more or less. It's just applying it to, to sort of in a different context. So I'm very curious if, if something like this goes through, and I believe it just impacts EU, then we'll see some kind of fragmentation where no rich snippets in the EU, but you do have them elsewhere or something. But so Do you think
0: like affiliate in the EU is going to be the next hot trend? Like everyone's just going to jump on these niches because you get much higher <laughs> clicks through, right?
1: No, I don't. No, I don't, I, don't.
0: I don't think so. I still
1: don't think so. It's a massive sidetrack. But the problem with the EU is, even though it's a large market, there are so many different languages. It's so fragmented. People are interested in different things. Some big countries like Germany, no one has a credit card in Germany. Like nobody. It's so weird. People are just not... That is kind of definitely a big to track, to by the way. Buying <laughs> stuff online, but there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like when, you st- when you start being about like Germans not having credit cards, you know you went a little bit too far, you know? <laughs> but, but yeah, also like all traffic is not completed with video snippets. I mean, um, so HubSpot ran a, a case study on... Like the HubSpot... They have a massive blog. They really get a lot of traffic. And so they ran a case study on like when they were in the featured snippet and when they were not and what the click-through rate was like. And you know, the C- CTR increased by up to 114% when they had the featured snippet. So the featured snippet does lead to extra traffic. It's just another number one result. And the other interesting thing as well that uh, the HubSpot article that we linked to in the article talks about is that uh, the featured snippets don't seem to be impacted by links at all. It's more about page structure. It's more about like having a direct answer to questions on the page that Google can use, et cetera. And what that tells me is that small sites can compete. And so it actually gives a little bit of a bridge for small sites when they are on page one. You need to be, I think you need to be top five to compete, to actually go and snag that number one that you would not get in the first place because some huge sites are here by you know optimizing, obviously the big sites are going to do that too, but their link advantage is not going to play. And so you can outdo them quite easily without a lot of resources. So I think it's actually an opportunity for the small guys here. We actually have a full data study coming on feature snippets really soon. I literally just received the draft. I didn't read it yet. But it's coming really soon. Like We literally ran all the data already. So yeah, a few weeks, I would say. And uh, it's probably going to come up on the blog as well. Anything else you want to say about feature snippets?
1: No, not yet. We'll save it for the the next mammoth podcast we do on the feature snippets.
0: Yeah, I guess pretty. we'll do one if, if the data is interesting. HTTPS matters. Okay, that one is 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 interesting, but I'm not. I don't think we should spend hours on this. And I mentioned it earlier, basically, HTTPS matters, but relevance beats it. There's a very, very, very clear correlation between having HTTPS and ranking on page one of Google. The number one has a lower, uh, lower correlation because relevance just outshines everything else so that is these navigational queries that is this brand queries. so if the brand doesn't have HTTPS something like that then well it it doesn't matter they will rank number one regardless but still 90% plus of websites ranking in the top 10 have HTTPS and NSSR at this point so the analysis is that you cannot live without HTTPS today it's just like
1: you know that's not exactly true though I mean, you can, you, you still breathe, but. <laughs> you can absolutely live without HTTPS. I promise you, you won't die. But what I was going to say is that this is another correlation causation issue. If you are in SEO and you're competing for those those top rankings, then the vast, vast majority of people who are doing that are going to have HTTPS sorted now because, everyone said they should do it. Google said, please do it. It's, you know, correlation studies say you should do it. But what it doesn't say is like, okay, well, what's the situation if you have it versus if you don't have it? Like how much of a difference does does that actually make? So w- while this, this shows that the sites who are doing it tend to do better, it's not necessarily because they're doing it that they do better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. In, but, you know, the reason I say you have to do it, it's like, I don't go like you know the first one was like like links correct like oh, links correct like crazy that's the next one and I'm not gonna go like oh you have to absolutely have the links I mean it it would be great to have links but the reason I say you have to have HTTPS is because the cost is so low of doing it versus the potential upside of it that it's really. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't have HTTPS, please turn it down and go install HTTPS on your site because it literally takes 20 minutes to do at this point. Most hosting providers are connected with Let's Encrypt and let you just install it pretty much immediately and usually handle the redirect for you. If not, there's like this easy SSL WordPress plugin that will do that for you. And Google just does a really good job with this anymore. It's really not that shaky anymore to switch a site from HTTP to HTTPS. For all these reasons, and for that reason that it 's really high correlation there's absolutely no reason why you should not have https and I think to be honest, that is one of the last times I even want to mention that because it it, it is an obvious part of building a website at this point, and it has to be done uh, yeah
1: i mean the, the the whole purpose of kind of looking doing data analysis and like looking at for, for things that correlate is to getting some kind of output with a list of best practices that you should follow and seo being widely considered more of an art than a science because you're never going to have perfect data to work with it just the only, the only person who would ever have that is google
0: but even them it's like imagine
1: how many people work
0: on on the actual search different layers of algorithm like nobody has an overall vision you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I mean, my, my point was just it, you have to sort of be okay with working with incomplete data and kind of where you don't have a causation, a direct causation that you can attribute. You kind of have to go with correlation analysis. And and, and the, the beauty of doing studies such as the one that, that Michel did here was that uh, being able to process large numbers of data, like 1 million plus, increases, you know, you would think the accuracy of the, the uh the analysis. So, yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So let's jump on the next point, which also is something that uh, you'll be rolling your eyes when we talk about it. But I think it was interesting to verify that back- backlinks are still the number one ranking factor and the most correlated ranking factor with high ranking. And not just backlinks, the number of referring domains to the ranking page. So it's like, it's not links to your domain. It's not all that. It's links to that one page ranking. So it's opening a few debates here because of that. And if you want to build it the white highway, especially like links to commercial pages, I mean, it really comes down to either having strong relationships, like many times it's like, I just know people because I've talked to them in an industry we in. I literally just say, hey, I will have this new commercial page up. Can you add a link here? And they just do it. Uh, that's like one easy way to boost that. The other way is just like guest posting, basically. Guest posting is a great way to get like even encouraged text, encouraged links to your page directly and really it really boost that as well. Another one of my theory is that actually domain authority does not exist. It's not like if you look at PageRank, PageRank is, is purely based on web pages. It's not like nothing in Google establishes any kind of like domain authority. Domain authority is kind of a fake metric. It's like, it has an effect, but it doesn't exist in the sense that the whole thing is literally built with internal links. So domain authority exists because a website just links to itself a lot. And so as a result, you have that kind of like domain authority, etc. And I think that in this case, it's like number of referring domains, but I think even if you, looked at number of links to the page, which I think we should have as Michelle to do, you would also see a strong correlation if you included internal links, because it's kind of the same thing. It's essentially like the amount of page rank that gets to the page seems to be correlating with high ranking. However, there seems to be a bonus where it comes from multiple domains, because it's just credibility
1: that comes from multiple sites. So I don't say that. But okay, okay, okay. You said a lot there. First of all, philosophically, if something has an effect, it must exist. But no, it doesn't exist as a, it doesn't, it's like... There's not a number, which is your domain authority. So you're saying
0: God exists.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In the sense that people react to it, the idea exists. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well,
0: that's exactly what I'm saying for domain authority.
1: Yeah. Wait, are you? (laughs) Yeah.
0: What I'm saying is like domain authority doesn't exist in Google's eyes. But it exists as an indirect way of strong internal linking for a website.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so as a result, like, um, links to pages can also be acquired from internal links. That, that was the whole point of saying that, is that referring domain matters. But uh, I, I now looking at this, I actually wish we extended it to like number of links to the page, including uh, internal links. The problem is Ahrefs doesn't have that data, so it's not exactly easy to get. And it's like the amount of crawling we would need to do that. We need to crawl every site that we analyze. So that would take a few months probably. But what I the reason I'm saying that is because basically links to pages matter. I think Intel, external links in that case and number of external links in that case, but I think internal links matter just as much. And you will have to be hunting four links to that one page if you want to have it ranked. But using things like skyscraper, like we do with Intel linking, has been working really well for us as well, which is also one of the reasons that make me say that this works that way. Basically, I tried this skyscraper like mini PBNs, basically, if Gray hats listen, that you just like, you know, pieces of content you can get links to, and then they get, the, they get page rank, and then you pass that page rank to whatever page you want to rank. But number of referring domains is highly, highly correlated, so you should also have links from other sites to that one.
1: What would be really interesting to do for this one is to look at number of referring pages, and then create like a a ratio of number of referring pages to referring domains. Look at how that plots out.
0: Do they have number of referring pages, Atrus? I believe so. <laughs> I'm literally opening right now to check. Now they don't have.
1: Well, okay then. <laughs>
0: External links from page. Uh, they, they do they do have internal links now as a report, but it's kind of like a something on its own, you know? And it's like, I guess it's possible, but it would be a lot of work. Because, of course, it's not in the API, so you would need to go get it manually. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. I mean, several things in this case that you would have to go get manually, actually. Because the API is not the most up-to-date. Anyway, that is what we wanted to say here. No, links to page are important basically, if you want to rank. And that's about it. Let's talk about URL lengths and keywords in URL. This one's quite interesting. So previous studies were just like flat out, oh, shorter URL correlates with higher rankings, so you should you know, make your URLs as short as possible, right? And it's true. Short URL correlates with higher rankings. Another thing that was interesting is keywords in domain names seem to correlate with higher rankings. So, you know, partial match and exact match domains seems to have a little bit of an impact still, which I'm sure now people are going to try to get some... At least partial match domains but yeah it seemed to matter quite quite a bit maybe because of that kind of like brand effect you know like i don't think google can kill it completely and you know this kind of like relevance for brand i think i think it matters and partial keywords in url correlated the strongest so um you should to say do this example like if you have a web page about protein bar for vegans if you were following the advice that you could read online before you'd go for the shortest URL possible. In his case, he was like, oh, mywebsite.com slash veganprotein. So that would be the shortest URL you can do. Like, it's just two words right after. But actually, he argued that uh, mywebsite.com slash protein bars vegan athletes would be an, a URL that gets more traffic in the end because there was more correlation with keywords in URL than there was with URL length. And so having your keywords in the URL, it just is just more important than making the URL short. So... It, it's nice to have it short, but it's better to include as many and tokenized keywords, meaning that if you want to rank for like best protein bar, for example. So he took best, he took protein and he took bar and he checked against the URLs that were rankings to see, to see like if there was any instance of any of these words and kind of like I counted how many times it happened. And so it's best to essentially make a URL that includes a bunch of keywords that, you know, when you put them together, make a, a keyword. So let's say you you have multiple keywords. I'm going to take like the keyword research tool article on Atari Hacker. So like probably like you could rank for keyword tool. You could rank for best keyword tool. You could rank for best keyword tool 2019. Keyword tool 2019. I don't know like uh, best keyword tool for beginners, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I could like I wrote best keyword tool. I think in the URL, but I think maybe something I should have. Return is maybe best keyword tool beginners and advanced, for example, something like this, so that I would be able to have like more of these compound and tokenized keywords in my URL, and I would call it higher with higher rankings. So the takeaway is don't be afraid to make your URLs a bit longer if that includes more keywords. Try to not take it to the extreme where you put 20 keywords in a super long URL. I don't think that's going to uh, go very well, but your main keywords, like, I would not be afraid to put like you know, four or five words in my URL, basically. I don't know what you think about that. Overall, though, it was a weak correlation. So it's like it's a 0.1% optimization, right? It's not something that will like make you rank. It's just there's a correlation. It's just kind of weak. Let's go for the next one, which is keywords in, in meta tags. So like, I mean, title tags, H1, etc. etc. This has a much stronger correlation than keywords in, in URL. So that has to be said. What was interesting in this one, So and I don't think anyone's done that before. So Ahrefs has that metric called parent topic. Parent topic is the biggest keyword the number one result ranks for. That's essentially, so, you know, they take a keyword, let's take best keyword tool, they take the number one result, and number one result will probably rank for like keyword tool, for example, right? Then what we did is we ran the correlation with the actual keyword, so like, let's say, best keyword tool against the whole page. But we also ran the correlation against the parent topic on the same page, and what was interesting is that the parent topic correlated about three times more than the actual keyword that we found the page for. It's interesting, but there's some limitations to this because actually the example I gave was a limitation when I said, we want to rank for best keyword tool, but the parent topic is keyword tool. Well, in best keyword tool, there is keyword tool. Therefore, every time best keyword tool is said, it's going to both count as a parent topic occurrence and a keyword occurrence. but when we say keyword tool is our best, then only it counts only at parent topic. So it's normal that it correlates higher, but three times higher is a lot. And so what that also, you know, seems to hint at, that I'm not going to say confirm, i hint at, is that kind of consolidation around topics for pages, because it didn't just correlate for number one. Of course, it would correlate for number one, because that's their one biggest keyword. So it's normal that it's the highest correlation, but number two, three, four would correlate really high as well, you know, for higher rankings. So it seems like the way I'm looking at all these things is basically it makes more sense to make one page that touches on a big topic and just try to hit at all all the sub keywords from that one page rather than like trying to do 25 pages on different topics obviously this is something that you need to observe in the field. They need to look at the keywords that are the pages that are ranking already. There will be a ton of exceptions that can be pointed out, so please don't send me exceptions on Messenger or something like this. There will be many. But it seems to hint at you know, the sites that get a lot of traffic, the sites that really kill it in Google, they just build big pages that target these, these big keywords, and eventually they just end up ranking for these small ones as well. The question is, can you match them in terms of link metrics? Because if you can't, then maybe the best strategy is going to be to go for a long tail. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a very conditional thing. But the guys that are killing it, they basically have a lot of links and they write for very broad topics. That's my observation.
1: What really struck me about this one was the, the keywords in method description, the shape of the graph. So you, you have people in positions three and four having, they less frequently have uh, key, their keywords in the method description than five and six.
0: Yeah, because it's probably, it's a weak correlation, you know. It's like if it's a weak correlation, these kind of this kind of graphs happen,
1: you know. Whereas when
0: you look at the parent topic, it's like it's pretty much a like a line that goes down and right, you know. It's not linear, but it's it's a, it's like it's a, there's no exception almost, you know. There's no exception at all, actually. So like this is like a fairly strong correlation, actually, the parent topic. So it's interesting. That's why it seems to be hinting at. To be frank, I could be completely wrong on this. So it's, it's very, very likely I'm wrong. But that's what I'm taking away from this data. Let's talk about the next one, which is also interesting. So, like, Since we started looking at the parent topic, we kind of like kept that since there was some really strong correlation for other things. So we looked at content lengths and we look at keywords in content, which I think is probably one of the most interesting points of the whole thing. Because it's so easy to influence on that based on what you learn here. To do that, we use uh, this API that I mentioned earlier called the Readability. That's the API that Firefox uses to give you like the clean version of web pages when you click on the little reader icon. That's this API, and it's really good. It really removes a lot of stuff, a lot of the sidebars, menus, logos on top, footers, all that stuff, comments. When we stripped all that stuff, it was really interesting because the word count of top-ranking pages was really quite low actually much lower than what a lot of people said there was a correlation between higher rankings and longer content though so like the top the, the number 1 average was 1337 words which is very elite and then it goes down to like 1200 1146 etc and then all the way to number 10 which had 869 so quite a good curve you know it it was but at the same time, like most SEOs <laughs> now, they write 2,000 words, blog posts, etc. And so it shows, once again, there is some branded stuff, etc. in there. But it shows that maybe we don't need to write as long content as we think. And the next thing we look at, kind of like hinted at that as well. Because there was some correlation, but it wasn't that strong. But then after that, we looked at the number of occurrences of the actual keyword inside the page. And then we also look at the number of occurrences of the parent topic. And so it was very well correlated. The more times the keyword was on the page, the higher it ranked. And it's like same. It's basically a straight curve. But for the parent topic, it was also like way more correlated. Like but once again, remember the key, the best keyword tool example. It's normal it's higher, but it's really it was really a lot. Once again, so you know on average the number one had five point seven times the keyword on the page, but had 17.2 times the parent keyword on the page. And the number two was 4.7 times the keyword, 16.1 times the parent topic. Number three, four times for the keyword, 13.4 for the parent topic, et cetera. So it's, it was the same. It's not a perfect curve. You can see number six is a bit higher than number five. Don't ask me why. I don't know. But it was interesting to see that keyword density is really, it's not even keyword density, is keyword occurrences in that case, is a thing. And that is something that we used to like not believe in. We used to be like, our oh, Google is like too smart. To come on, it's, like, it's not just by cramming your keyword into your content that you're going to rank higher, right? And then we tried it, and we ranked higher. <laughs> uh, and we've done that for like since November last year, something like that, like quite a bit. The pages we work on the Toy Hacker and other sites, we did implement that. I do regret that we didn't implement that on the site that we solved, actually. <laughs> uh, that is a bit of a, of a missed opportunity. Uh, hint, hint, if you bought the site. But yeah, it actually is correlated. And from our field experience, yeah, putting your your keyword more times than you think in your content is very important. It's not just by putting a keyword one or two times in your content that is going to be enough. It's really, it will move the needle.
1: I think there's one really important thing, though, to be careful with here. And that's over-optimization, which... Yeah, I was going to talk about this at the end, actually. Which is absolutely a thing. If you're keyword stuffing, even if you're not keyword stuffing, like sometimes just by writing the article, you will naturally just mention the keyword too many times, and you you get uh, not penalized, but you you won't rank for, for 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 it if you if you do that, because the data we've pulled is just you know the top ten or top twelve, then we're not showing all those people that don't appear there who have done that. So there's a sort of reverse Texas sharpshooter fallacy thing going on there.
0: It's kind of and, and, like when people are like, oh, all successful people wake up at 5 a.m. And you're like, sure, how many people, unsuccessful people wake up at 5 a.m. anyway? And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> but it's kind of that, that same analogy. It's like, it's, it's not because things work that they are the reason why things work, you know? Yeah, uh, and actually, yeah. actually, we do mention something about that in the article at the end, because... One thing that we noticed that was very weird that I've never heard anyone talk about is that the top of page two seems to be full of people with the metrics to be in the top five, actually. They have the keyword density, they have the links, they have all of that. It seems to be some kind of like threshold for like making it to page one is really like something you need to cross. And Google has some flags and we don't know what they are. We didn't find anything that allows us to make Mm -hmm. any even guesses.
1: So then the next round of studies would be comparing page two to page one. What's hiding on page two? <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like, it was really interesting. So
0: like a, a lot of pages, with like more links than like, you know, number five, six, seven, eight would be like top of page two. A lot of pages with similar content length, keyword density, et cetera, as the top three would be on page, like, you know, like usually top of page two, like, you know, the, the between 10 and 15, basically, uh, 11 and 15 rather. And and we have no idea why. And I think that's where the optimized pages die, you know. There is over-optimization. But to be frank, like, I'm going to plug a tool that we started using recently for that. Um So we've started using a tool called Surfer SEO. That's really cool because it analyzes the top 100 for whatever query you put in there and it gives you all this data on a query level so like if you take our averages on a blog post you will be over optimizing for some queries and you'll be under optimizing for some queries they're just averages and you know the standard deviation is, is not trivial so it's like what surface you allowed us to do actually was to they should pay us for that <laughs> If you want my PayPal, I'll send it to you. But like, yeah, it allows us to essentially run this correlation data on a query level, which is really, really interesting. And we've been using it recently, and it's quite good. It's quite a nice interface as well. So yeah, if you want to essentially do what we did on this blog post on a query level, which is going to be way more useful for when you actually do day-to-day SEO, software SEO has been a really good tool to use, actually. So, And that can be a really great shield against over optimization, which is why I'm bringing it right now. So yeah, check it out. So we're going to jump onto the last one, which is uh, speed. So Pagepeed people love speed, and I like it because this search result literally confirms what I've been saying on the podcast for ages, uh, which is that Pagepeed had actually a fairly weak correlation with top rankings. Most top pages, like they did okay, it wasn't terrible, but they still like um, we used Google Lighthouse Audit, which is like their new audit tool for websites that's built into Chrome to check and they have an API to check, you know, the the optimization of the sites. And it's really drastic. Like if your site is not like light speed fast, it's going to hammer you with like, you're, you're terrible. And so, yeah, most sites that were number one, they were number one, two and three, they were like either average or slow according to the lighthouse standards. So they were just like, not that great to be frank. And uh, the, the correlation was just quite weak. So it's Nice to optimize page speed. We don't say don't optimize page speed. What we say is don't spend your days optimizing page speed, like I see a lot of people do on Facebook groups and posting screenshots of how their site is 380 kilobytes to load the page or something. It's much better to have good features and good UX that will get you links than to get like 0.1 second of extra page speed. And I think that's something that you need to think about, and that sometimes sacrificing page speed for features and for just something that's better designed and will get more shares and links is going to pay off more in terms of google traffic than pure page speed.
1: I think it's one of these things so, that because of the the way, you know, google built its tools and gives you like the the specific numbers and even like a rating, I can't I can't remember how it works now, but it was like a b c that kind of thing. It, it felt very sort of like like a tangible improvement you were making when you when you were able to to improve that. But it's just like a, a metric which they created. It's not necessarily linked to rankings and stuff.
0: Yeah, I think if your site is really slow, you'll get, especially on like, one thing to say as well is all of this was run on desktop and Google has a different index for mobile. Therefore, maybe PageSpeed is more important than mobile, first of all. I could definitely see that. PageSpeed just, it, especially for like slow networks, etc. Like I can see it. But for the desktop searches that we've looked at, this has not been very important at all. So that's basically. It. Page speed. do your basic work, and actually, we're probably going to be updating our Page speed guide because it's terrible right now. Don't follow it if you, if you. it's just too old, but we'll be updating it soon. And it's going to be like 80-20 guide, not like do, not crazy. So other observations, we kind of like gave most of them away in a podcast. But one that was uh, interesting as well is that, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you should put YouTube videos on your page. It's going to increase time on page. It's going to be good for your rankings, etc. Google likes media. So we did that. We actually ran the um, to see if there was a correlation for pages with embedded media and videos versus not. And there was zero difference. So it doesn't seem to be doing anything to just embed a random YouTube video on your page from, from what we've seen. So yeah, that's another one that was a bit uh, misbusted for us. So that was basically it. For the summary of that, we have the full blog post on autoriahacker.com slash million subs analyze. The conclusion for Michel was quite interesting actually. So Michelle is like not an SEO guy. He's just like a super smart guy who's been in online marketing, et cetera, but like more traditional enterprise stuff. And uh, he hasn't been like hardcore SEO affiliate stuff, uh, etc. cetera. But it's, I like it. I like to bring these kind of people To look at the stuff we do and just like provide a different perspective. So his conclusion was actually quite interesting. He's like, you know, you guys are like basically attributing anything you don't understand with Google to some kind of like fancy AI they have, et cetera. Mostly from what we see from this, Google is just really good at handling a large amount of basic data and retrieving relevance from documents, which is why the number one result is always the most relevant, no matter what the link metrics are, no matter what. Anything like if you're typing a navigational query, just Google knows. They they will find it, they will put it number one, regardless of how bad their site or SEO is. So Google is just really good at handling a lot of basic data and that really being good at creating content that's optimized to essentially be flagged as relevant by Google's argos. And a lot of it comes from putting your keywords and related keywords, LSI keywords, etc. in your content, and being good at getting links to your content is really where the meat and potatoes of seo are so and also he was like oh keep your site simple so that you don't have to deal with the uh, you know really low page speed and all the technicalities etc and then you're fine you know and i think that i think i think he's right actually i think a lot of he was like one of one of the things he said as well he's like oh a lot of people have a lot of benefits in making seo seem complicated just because they profit from it but in the end it's something that's much simpler than people think and instead of trying to do a million things just do a few things right get links create great content and you'll be just fine, which sounds a little bit like my cuts, but at least he's backed by data. So I don't know what you think about his conclusion.
1: Oh, well, I mean, as someone who produces a weekly podcast, there's only so many times we can say, you know, great, create good content, get good links, et cetera.
0: But this time I didn't, he did.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: I know what you mean. But, no, I agree, but also like while he's right, There's a ton of 1% improvements that you can apply that on their own, if you just isolate them as a factor, it's going to be a very weak correlation. But when you add like a hundred of these tiny optimizations, it actually adds up to make a significant difference. And I think that's what SEO is, you know? SEO is not about like one trick that changes absolutely everything, but rather a collection of tiny processes that you need to run in parallel, which makes the whole thing super complicated, so that you take these 0.1% advantages over your competition and actually rank. So while I think he's right, while I think the core of this is create great content and get links, I think there's also hundreds of tiny things you can do.
1: It's also like, well, if you're already creating good content, what more can you do? And then at that point, it becomes all these other little things and keep pushing it and keep keep trying to find more little 1%ers that you can add onto it.
0: Exactly. So like, it's the kind of stuff that, it's interesting these correlation studies, but it's tricky as well in that sense because it doesn't highlight what SEO really is. Because on their own, these things look like almost insignificant. But like you know, it's kind of like the way like people save a little bit for their entire life and they have a shit ton of money when when they retire. You know, it works kind of that way. But if you were just isolating one month of saving, you'd be like, that's just not even worth it. Like, what are you doing? And so I think that that is why. These studies are both interesting and dangerous, and I'm happy to say it. It's a lot of cool learnings, and I think he's right in, like, you need to first get links and content under control, and after that, I think, that, you know, a lot of companies have already gotten that under control, so how do you how do they differentiate after that? It's, it's these little things, and that's a lot of the stuff that cannot be highlighted very well with these kind of studies, basically. So that's, that's my opinion, personally. Okay, cool. Well, before we wrap up, though, don't forget, we still have that launch going on, the Shotgun Skyscraper Blueprint. That is the link-building system that we use to build that case study site that we sold at the beginning of the year in January. We sold it for mid-six figures. There is a full case study on the blog, so go on AtariHacker.blog if you want to check this out. But if you want to check out the course, you can just go on AtariHacker.com. There's going to be a huge call to action on top of the page if it's still available. And it's going away in a few hours. Like Really, like uh, this should be released on Monday, tuesday morning with it's out monday evening u.s it's gone as well if you're considering it uh, get it because i just don't know where it's gonna come back so thanks for tuning in if you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to rate us on itunes subscribe
1: thanks for listening to the authority hacker podcast
0: if you enjoyed this show don't forget to rate
1: us on itunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium authority hacker training